0: That's where great leadership comes in is this ability to say to someone, all right, this isn't going to work anymore, still treat them with dignity and help them find something new.
1: You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, and I'm your host, Robert Glazer. Join me as I talk to world-class performers about how they build their capacity and reach greater heights in leadership, business, and life, and how you can do the same. Welcome to the Elevate podcast. Our quote for today is from Oprah Winfrey, we can't become what we need to be by remaining what we are. Our guest today, my friend Whitney Johnson is an innovative thinker on individual and team growth. She's been named one of the 50 leading business thinkers by Thinkers 50, and is the author of several award-winning books, including Disrupt Yourself, Putting the Power of Disruptive Innovation to Work, and Build an A-Team, Play to Their Strengths and Lead Them Up the Learning Curve. Whitney is also the host of the Disrupt Yourself podcast, And her new book, Smart Growth, will be available for purchase by the time you hear this podcast. Whitney, welcome. I'm excited to have you back on the Elevate podcast.
0: Robert, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here.
1: So we talked a little bit about your background on your first appearance on the show, which I encourage people to check out that episode and we'll link to it. But after some research, we weren't sure. We recorded that pre-COVID. So... I know you do a lot of in-person coaching and speaking, and you also work with people on you know, their decisions and careers. So how did COVID affect all of this, from your business to the people that that you coach and all the mm. S-curves out there?
0: Yeah. I First of all, I love this question, especially because it's the start of the year. <clears throat> and it's this idea of reflecting on what's worked and what hasn't and what we want to do going forward. And as I'm thinking about this question that you're asking me, I'm realizing that, pre-COVID kind of 2018, my focus, our focus was really on how do we inspire people to want to change, to disrupt themselves? And that was the books and the podcasts, et cetera. And then 2019 to 2020, it was much more about how do we teach? And we were already going that direction, but then COVID just accelerated it. Now it's how do
1: we do (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Been disrupted.
0: Had, yeah, exactly. Well, and that's, that's what was so interesting and, and fascinating for us is that we were in the middle of this massive upheaval and disruption for our, ourselves personally. Now, all of a sudden our content was, okay, teaching people, how do you do this? And that was a lot of coaching and workshops. And, and interestingly enough, not surprisingly, coaching works really well via Zoom or via you know, Microsoft teams, et cetera. So there was this transition to really focusing on the teaching. And then also accelerating this idea of, okay, now that people are saying, I understand what you're saying, how do I apply it? And so that's you know, while we've been in our cocoon, it's been very focused on how do we build out, um, this certification for people thinking about the S curve. How do we think about um, really helping people um, have a tool that they can use to figure out where they are in their growth? So going from this idea of inspiring to teaching, but how can we actually apply these ideas so that we can truly disrupt ourselves and make the progress that we want to make?
1: Let's give a quick refresh of the S curve for those who haven't uh, listened to the last episode yet. And then I have a whole bunch of follow-on questions to that. But it occurred to me we should we should set the basis so. Can you just give me yeah. an example of the personal S curve?
0: Yes, I I would be happy because this is one of my favorite <laughs> things to talk about. Um just like you like to talk about values. And
1: I know you've got this speech down. <laughs>
0: I love talking about the S-curve. All right, so just a quick refresher for everybody who's listening. Um, The S-curve is something that was originally popularized by Everett Rogers, you know, 60, 70 years ago, and he used it to figure out how quickly an innovation would be adopted. I had this big insight because we were using it at our investing that I was doing with Clayton Christensen, the late Clayton Christensen um, at the Harvard Business School, is that you could also use this S-curve to help you figure out how you learn how you grow, and how you develop. And so everybody who's listening, what I want you to do is take your finger and I want you to trace from left to right a horizontal line. That is the launch point of an S curve. So, every time you start something new, you start a new role, you start a new job, you start a new hobby, you start a new year, you are at the base of that S. And you're going to do, um, put in a lot of effort, and it's going to feel like very little is happening. It can feel like a slog. And it's not that growth isn't happening, it's just not yet apparent. And so, growth feels slow. So, that's the flat part of the S curve. That's what we call the launch point. And that is where growth feels slow. So, that's the first part of the S curve. Now, whatever it is you're starting new, you're going to move. Um, as you put in the effort, you're going to move into the knee of the curve. So I want you to take your finger, draw from left to right, and almost a swooshing line up. And this is the part of the curve that feels fast because you put in the effort, you're accelerating into competence and confidence. You feel exhilarated. You feel like you're exactly where you're supposed to be. This is the fast part of the curve, the sweet spot. So you now got slow at the launch point, sweet in the steep, sleek back of that curve. And then the The third part of that curve is mastery. And so, what I want you to do now is draw again with your finger from the left to the right, this flattening part of the curve. And this is the part of the curve where you're actually very good at what you're doing. But because you're no longer learning, you can start to get bored. And so, at this point, whereas in the sweet spot, growth was fast, now it's actually slow. So, you've got slow and then fast and slow. That is how you grow. I did not say that in 2020, because Michael Bungay Stanier came up with that catchy phrase, who's a mutual friend of ours. But what you want to think about is whenever you start something new, you can use this S curve from the launch point, the sweet spot, the mastery to basically think about the emotional arc or the emotional journey of your growth. And it makes it a lot easier to take on something new because you know where you are, and then you know what's next.
1: Right. And so now with that description sets up for the question that that I wanted to ask, which is, I mean, I've seen this over and over with friends, colleague, peers, a lot of people, it's hard to jump the curve when it's comfortable, when you're paid a ton of money (laughs) to be comfortable, when your kids are all in school. And what happens in these crisis moments is you get literally thrown off the curve, right? The thing that you probably wouldn't have done to yourself, which is an amazing opportunity. So did you see a lot of that? Was anyone in the moment? It's probably hard to be grateful, but I've seen so many people just, you know, I think this is the classic, I don't know, it's midlife crisis, but I would call it like a lot of times in your forties, you can get to be, you mastered where you are. You can get to be very overpaid, very complacent and very unhappy.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, a couple of thoughts come up for me here. First of all, I would say, um, I think that's one of the gifts of COVID because everybody pre COVID pre pandemic was on an S curve. They liked it, they hated it, they loved it, whatever it was. But we were all pushed off of whatever that was to a brand new S curve. And what we found is that it helped us gain momentum. And now that we were moving, we found ourselves saying, well, do I like this S curve that I was on? Do I want to maybe do something different? And so people, many people are doing a lot of things differently. And so in my mind, I know people are calling it the great resignation. But to me, it's actually the great aspiration. People are saying, I want more. And now that they've figured out how to disrupt themselves, they have the tools to do more. And so people are saying, I want a new S curve. Now, to your question about being in your 40s, absolutely 100%. I mean, you look at Eric Erickson's developmental psychology around the age of 40 people start saying well what do I really want to do with my life that certainly happened to me around the age of 40 what was I doing I was working on Wall Street I had a really great career doing very very well and I go to my boss and I say hey I want to do something more and they're like we like you right where you are and in partly the hubris that one has, I think at that age, I said, well, I'm going to go do something else. So I disrupted myself and became an entrepreneur and and started over. So I do think though that every time you move, if you choose to disrupt yourself, there's something, the functional job of life is getting done. You may be making money, but there's an emotional job of, I want more. And We aspire to more.
1: Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hey, Elevate listeners. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Go to shopify.com slash elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash elevate. Can, can we debate the great resignation for a moment? Yeah, <laughs> because sure, I think there's please. there's pieces of, I agree with what you said, and and I'll tell you, which is what I've seen. I think there's three pieces. Too. I mean, I saw a monster or someone, I don't know what, came out with some study that 90% of people are looking for a new job, at which point it's like, Come on, like the grass is not greener if you're really if that's really the data, and I don't believe that data. But it, what I've seen in talking to people, it seems to fall into three buckets. Two of them I think are are the right reasons to jump a curve, and one of them is is not. The first is I'm on the wrong path. I'm in the wrong industry. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be doing mm-hmm. this. This was the wake up call. Okay, great. Right. Two, I'm on the right path, but I'm working with a bunch of a holes, or you know these people were yeah. terrible during COVID. Like I don't want to work with them anymore. But there's a huge bunch in this third bucket that, that I would say like the last 18 months, or now we've been saying it's probably two years almost now has been really hard. Right. And you know, my company was great to me or whatever. I like what I'm doing, but it was hard. And I just think if I go somewhere else, it'll be easier or it'll erase that memory. And I see, you know, and Adam Grant just came out with something. It takes five years to get back to the level of satisfaction in some cases, you know, where, where you were. So I don't know how to allocate those percentages but I just see a lot of people changing the change because, and my contention is that, and maybe this, I don't know how this aligns or doesn't align with your work. Sometimes if you look at people really successful, it was about what they did when the road got crappy and they didn't jump the road. They figured out how to you know, keep going through it. And so that's sort of my personal take on the, on the great resignation. I, I think that last bucket is just, I think we're going to see a lot of people going back. I think they're just these recruiters are yeah. calling them, they're promising them great money for easy jobs and then they need them to start the next day and I think they're being sold a bag of goods and it's like, oh, that sounds good.
0: Hmm. That's a great observation. I really um I so I guess the first one, yes, wrong path you discover that you're not The first two
1: are are sort of I agree with you on. I think there's this third bucket though that is a is a right. big piece of it.
0: Yeah, so I here's what I would say on on that one is that Absolutely. I think sometimes we get into this place where we just, we're just tired and we want something new. And I remember hearing a quote, and I'm paraphrasing. um, This is Steve Jobs. He said, you know, so much of of achievement is persistence. And so it's that recognition of, and a willingness to say, okay, so I'm in the post-pandemic S curve of my life. And I'm looking at all these different pieces and this ability to tease out and to disaggregate and say, okay, what's really going on here? Is it that I hate my job? Is that I don't like working with the people that I'm working with? Or is it that I'm actually tired and I need to figure out better self-care or I need to figure out how to better balance my life, et cetera. And so I agree with you. I think there are people aspiring to more. But even then, I would argue, even in this third bucket, people are saying, I want more. They're not sure what that looks like. And they're sometimes taking that easy way out. And what I would say, and I think your call to action is, is really take a hard look at what is actually going on. Is it that you don't like your job or is it that you just need to rest?
1: So that is the key point. There are so many people and people on our team that said, look, If you're that burnout i think what you need is three months off right there are a bunch of nurses out there who probably don't want to not be nurses they just their patience is thin or whatever what they need they don't want to go be a teacher like what they actually need is three months off which in some cases might be a better choice than jumping into another career jumping into something else or changing for a change i i i have never found that unless you're doing you know you're doing the wrong soul-crushing work but i've never found that you know it it is the, the notion of a new job solving burnout is is new jobs are hard. You need to get up to speed. You need right. to relearn all your, like, it's right. not a cakewalk. And again, with the employment rate we have, you have recruiters selling you like the dream. Yeah. And I've already, you know, I'm starting to hear some stories three to six months in where clearly as expected, that was not the, the story. It's kind of like dating too, right? You're drawn to the one yeah. thing that was different from the last person. And then you realize there are all these other things you liked about that.
0: Right right. And, and there were 10 things that you liked before. So so what I would say, Robert, is we've got this S-curve. We've got a framework also, personal disruption. And one of those pieces of that framework is the importance of stepping back in order to grow. And so I would argue, and there's this wonderful quote from Tiffany Schlain, and she talks about how rest is actually a technology because the promise of technology is that it makes our lives better. And so I think to your point and really Doubling down on this, have you had Jennifer Moss on your podcast by any chance? I have not. Okay. So I would encourage your listeners who are feeling burned out to go listen to our episode. It's Jennifer Moss. She wrote the burnout epidemic. You may want to have her on your podcast as well, because you can do a deep dive in this. And then the question is, do I really not like my job? Do I really not like the people I work with? Or is it just that I'm tired? And if it is that I'm tired, then let's not go for the quick thrill of some chocolate of changing jobs. Let's figure out how to rest.
1: And by the way, I mean, this goes to the concept of physical capacity to elevate when you're tired and exhausted, you tend to argue with people more and be less patient. And again, right. it's, it's hard to, it's, there's this chicken and egg, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can part of that be that you're just in this difficult part of the S curve, the part where you're, cause the learning is uncomfortable, right? So this is a, this is a challenge, right? This is a new leadership challenge. Again, yeah. it's figuring out where you actually are in that process.
0: Yeah. I mean, to your, okay. So to your question, so if, it, if you're bucket number one, wrong path, then you're, you know, sort of at the top of this S curve because it's, it, there's nothing else for you to learn, or it's not the right thing for right. you to learn. It doesn't
1: matter how much you get better at it.
0: Exactly. It's just not the right place for you. Um. So to your question is, Post pandemic, we are all on a brand new S curve. The way we managed our lives just no longer works. And so, if you can go through and ask yourself, you know, does this curve align with my values? I know you do a lot of work on that. Does this curve align with my identity? Does this curve, is it in sync with my why? If all those pieces are still in place, then you may need to say, oh, yeah. I'm actually just on the launch point of my life post pandemic. Let me figure out what else I need to manage in order to stay on this curve and move up this effectively. But you know, the expression that's coming to mind is don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. Have you heard that expression?
1: Yes. And it's a great expression. And the crisis management is, is not something we all want to learn, but it's it's part of leadership. Yeah, I'm sure as you were dealing with COVID, I know you focus on the personal disruption but you i know in your career you mm-hmm. focus a lot at click christian obviously on, on business disruption It also occurred to me, there's just a huge difference in COVID between the people willing to do what needed to be done (laughs) and make the change. And and as I call the waiting for 2019, you know, obviously some people were put in untenable situations, but you see a restaurant that said, look, we're just not going to operate until we can operate like we were going to do. And then you see others that went and got a permit to take the parking lot across the street and did, you know, farm share and changed their kitchen. And it generally seemed like the people that just accepted where they were and figured out how they could get through it performed much better than the people that were going to wait till we got back to, to normal. So mm-hmm. where did you see this in your work? Or you see cross obviously you're coaching people who are leading these businesses, who are having to make these decisions, but generally like how important was the willingness to disrupt their business <laughs> into uh, what they thought was oh. the path versus themselves?
0: Yeah. Well, okay. I have two thoughts that are coming to mind as, as you're saying this. So I'll give you a statistic and then I'll tell you a quick story. So the first is, um, you know, Aegon Zender, the executive search firm, placement firm, et cetera, they came out with a study recently. And what they found is that um, 80% of all their CEOs, they surveyed a thousand CEOs, and 80% of those CEOs said that they needed to transform the organization and they needed to transform themselves, so they strongly agreed with that statement, and hundred percent agreed. Now you're this listening. This
1: pre-COVID, or no?
0: Right now today. Okay, okay, got right it. now today. Okay, okay. so eighty percent strongly agreed. Now you're you anticipated, and this is this is the punchline here. Prior to COVID, only twenty six percent strongly agreed with that statement, which is fascinating, right? So yeah. prior to COVID. CEOs believed that they could transform their organization without transforming themselves, which I think is very, very compelling and important and noteworthy. So, so that that's the first These thing companies that I probably can't
1: figure out how to get their people to come back to the office. So that, that must be a big part right. of that story. Yeah.
0: Right. And so then they figure, Oh, I, I guess I need to do some changing myself as well. Right. So I think the, uh, what I've also seen is that, you know, one of the, the stories that we talk about in the book is a fellow by the name of Jeremy Andrus, who's the, the CEO of a company called Traeger grills and fascinating to talk to him. He, He's been there for about 10 years, lots and lots of change that he's had to navigate. Um, his most recent change is supply chain issues, um, yeah. where they're making these grills and they have supplies out of China. And he's, what he's doing is, yes, it's been a challenge, but every time that he comes up against these new challenges. He says, what are we going to do to innovate? How are we going to turn this constraint? So one of our our, um, pieces of personal disruption is embrace your constraints, your constraints are a tool of creation. He's looking at these supply chain challenges and saying, okay, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to use this as a tool of creation rather than just, oh, well, can't get supplies. Um, People are figuring out how to innovate with the constraints that they find themselves faced with. And so that to me is what's so interesting about this past two years and probably will be for the next two years. It's just this great sifting of people of how are they dealing with disruption and how you deal with disruption, both personally and professionally, and as a company is going to define you. And this is an opportunity to see how people are defining themselves.
1: Yeah. I mean, the greatest challenge in in talking to a few people in our organization where, where the turnover, right. Where they say, look, the people are, Salaries have gone up thirty percent. Turnover has doubled, and the exercises. Well, let's pretend that doesn't fix itself. <laughs> you know, then what would you have to do differently? What would you need to automate? What would you need to change about your training? What would you need to change about your performance compensation? You know, assume that that's not temporary, and you might find some really interesting structural changes to your business. That again, you were just happily living at the top of that S curve, and you weren't <laughs> disrupted, and you didn't have to right. figure out. Right. All right. So I want to talk about your new book, which conveniently I see, you know, uh, laid out in the background there very, very nicely. I always say it reminds me of the, do you ever see that movie? What about Bob? Uh, with Richard Dreyfuss, where he's like a therapist and no. he's talking to the guy, he's like, there's a book that I think you'd really like. I can't. Let me see if I, he turns around his entire bookshelf is all his own book. Uh, he's like, I know it's here somewhere. It's a very funny uh, scene. All right. So That yeah, Sparkle- is
0: hilarious.
1: Yeah, you can, I'll send you the clip. So um, comes out this week, and takes the approach from personal disruption to team growth, which I think is really interesting. So what, what actually prompted you uh, to write the book? Was it was it an idea you had? Or was it more the application of how you saw this playing out in the real world?
0: Yeah, so what prompted it is that um, so I had written the book Disrupt Yourself, and that came out in 2015, which was leveraging or, you know, applying the framework of disruption that we were using at the disruptive innovation fund with Clayton to companies and products and services to the individual. And then we wrote a build an A team and we were applying that to teams. And one of the things that happened is that every time we were, we were talking about disruption, we were talking about building teams, we had the S-curve of learning always in the background. And one of the things that started to happen is that people were saying, "Well, I want to talk about the S curve." I remember going on Dan Pink's Pinkcast a couple of years ago and he's like, and he said, "Let's talk about the S curve." That's what's interesting. Let's talk about that. In the and context kept, of teams. Yeah, in the context of teams and I'm like, "Oh, there's something here that we've been talking about this running in the background. We need to talk about this front and center." And so so the purpose of this book is what we've done is we've said, "All right, you as a leader want to grow your company, but in order to grow your company, you've got to grow yourself. So what we've done is we've talked about the S-curve, but in painstaking I hope delightful detail. We talk about the launch point, how there's the explorer and the collector phase. And we talk about the sweet spot phase where there's yeah. the accelerator and the metamorph. And then we talk about mastery where you're anchoring a behavior and then the mountaineer where you're at the top of the mountain, you have to keep climbing. So we believe that the fundamental unit of an organization is the individual. That's where we start. But after each major section, we have these interludes where we say, all right, Now that you've changed yourself, because that's where it starts, here's how you can apply it to build your team. Here's how you can use this framework to transform your organization. So the story, the narrative is focused on the individual, but then we have all sorts of application at the end of each major section on how do you use this to transform your company or your organization.
1: So does a team move in an S-curve?
0: You know, it's a great question, and the answer is yes. So it's very much a fractal, right? Because if you're looking at your team, team, can
1: get. I'm just thinking about you. Can get comfortable and complacent and not challenging each other, and
0: yeah, yeah, you absolutely can. So if you you know, everyone on your team is on their own S curve. And so you want to say, okay, is everybody right now on the launch point of the S curve? Because if we've got lots of people on the launch point, we probably need to get a few people who are in mastery who can help bring the people at the launch point along. So yes. Now to your question, can a team as as a corpus itself be in mastery? The answer is yes. Um, now if you're, Running your team effectively, you're continually changing and transforming, so you're staying in the sweet spot as much as possible. But if you as a team have worked together for a long time and nothing is changing and you're not figuring out... How to communicate better, you're not figuring out how to double down on your values, you're not figuring out how to get fresh ideas, people at the launch point, or people who are sparking new ways of thinking. You as a team can stagnate and you as a team can get disrupted. I mean, that's what happens to an organization, right? The team, the do company. you need
1: new blood coming into teams? Is that, is that part of yes. mixing it up? Yeah,
0: it is part of it. Yeah, and so you can do it in a couple of ways. I mean, you can get people who are who are from outside of your organization. You can also get it from people who are inside your organization, but taking on new roles.
1: Yeah, so you talked about like the launch point, the sweet spot, are these are these new identifications on the S-curve as it applies to team? Or are these, you're now looking at the phases of sort of, is that where a person is or is that where a team is?
0: Oh yeah, This so this is focusing on the person. So okay, where it. are you? Are you an explorer, the collector phase? And then if you want to do a deep, deep dive on the team piece, you would go into build an A-team, which is the prior book. Got it. But this is really doing the deep dive on the individual, but then giving leaders a way to think about the application. So
1: will you give us the 60 seconds on each of those phases so we can understand why, you know, how launch, sweet spot, mastery, and there were there two others you said too?
0: Oh, yes. Yeah. So, so launch point, you've got explore. So explore phase is that place where you're either you plan to be here or you didn't, but you're getting, you're collecting or you're, you're looking around and saying, do I want to just leave this desert Island that I'm on immediately? Or do I want to stay here a little bit longer? And that's where you're asking those questions. Like, does this S curve sync with my identity? Does it sync with my why? Is it hard, but not too hard. So asking these Explorer questions.
1: And, and it's going to be a little uncomfortable because it's new either way, right? It's not going to feel great if it's totally new it's so
0: uncomfortable it's so uncomfortable yeah Yeah. (laughs) and then you go and then if you decide you want to stay then you go to the collector phase and you start collecting um qualitative data of like how does this feel does this you know do i want to stay here you collect quantitative data of, of can i gain momentum and so this goes back to what you were asking earlier this idea of people saying to themselves I'm just tired. Well, if you've collected the data and you actually like the work itself, then there's something else happening. So that's the explore the collector phase. And the thing that I think is so important about the launch point is if you are feeling uncomfortable, if you are feeling impatient, if you are feeling discouraged, it's normal. Like this is how you are supposed to feel. And if you are not feeling this way at all, then you're not growing. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's part of the value of this is it normalizes the experience that people are having.
1: When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. What's the quote? I'm not going to get it. Everyone wants everyone wants something, but no one actually likes the change or, or everyone wants innovation, but no, one. there's some code, like when, when the change actually shows up, then everyone starts responding to what's different. Right. Right away.
0: Right, 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 right. We all want to be the agent of change, but no one wants to be its subject is one way I think about it.
1: That's a much better said. Yes. Okay. So then where do we, we move from there?
0: Yeah. So in the sweet spot, what's happening is that you're now you've you've explored, you've collected, you've said, I want to stay here. Your brain has run this predictive model. It's making lots of lots of predictions, many of which were incorrect. Your dopamine dropped. That's why the launch point's so hard. But then you move into the sweet spot. And what's happening is you're starting to your predictions are starting to be accurate and you're getting these upside surprises. And so you're getting lots and lots of dopamine. and you're saying, this is fun. This is exhilarating your, your growth feels and is fast. And so now you're in accelerator mode where it's just fast and fun. And then the more you do it, the more you, you practice it, then you start, you move into that metamorph and it's, Metamorph, because there's a metamorphosis taking place. It's no longer what you do, it's becoming who you are, part of your identity. And so you're in that sweet spot that's so exhilarating. And then you tip into mastery. And mastery is anchor. And the anchor part is very important. And people oftentimes overlook it, which is you say, I did it. I completed what I set out to do. I made it to the top of the mountain. And so you want to celebrate there and take time to acknowledge what it is you've accomplished. But it's also very bittersweet because you know that just like a mountain climber can't stay on top of a mountain for very long because their brain and body will start to die that you're going to have to either you're going to have to move or your plateau becomes a precipice. And so the sixth phase is mountaineer, where you're going to keep climbing, you're going to find a way for this S curve you're on to either be. A summit, not the summit. So you push yourself back into the sweet spot or you jump to a brand new S-curve entirely and you complete that growth. Once you complete that growth cycle, you start over again. And so the the better you are at moving through all phases of the growth cycle, the better you are at being able to grow and to to reach your your capacity, to elevate yourself, as you would say, Robert. So
1: mastery seems to be the trickiest one in terms of like, this a fine line between i'm really good at this it feels good and complacency. like it just uh, this seems to be the hardest one to know when it's a good thing or when it's a when it's a bad thing and and it seems like it could be a a tight gradient
0: yeah i think that's a great way to describe it so so what one of the things that happens is when we administer our s curve insight tool people will say well i'm in mastery and we're like okay well let's dig a little bit deeper they might be in mastery from a domain expertise standpoint if they are also coming up of "I'm bored and I'm not motivated," then they're in mastery in that role. and that is your danger zone because they're either going to get complacent right. or they're going to leave. And if they're a high performer, you don't want them to leave. And so that's part of why this is so useful is because then you as a leader can have that conversation. and you can say to someone on your team, "Hey, I think you're in the sweet spot. You're doing a fantastic job. I'm very happy with where you are. And they're like, well, I feel like I'm in mastery. And you're what people are going to do, the prediction of someone's behavior is not where you think they are on the S-curve. It's where they think they are. And so that's what you want to look at.
1: Well, so let's think about like, I guess mastery is not a state, right? You would need to keep, let's think about like a surgeon, right? Who, who, Yeah they would be trying new methods, right? Or doing something right. that right. It's not if they've done that surgery a hundred times and they know how to do it, then there's nothing really changing about that. Right. That that inherently yeah. it was not about just that surgery becomes too easy and it's about learning new new methods. Right.
0: Right. Well for a surgeon, it's about how can I continue to innovate in my work so that I'm finding ways to push myself into the sweet spot. Would it be helpful to give you just a quick example of like the application of this? Sure. Okay, so a company called Chatbooks, they turn Instagram photos into physical books that you can use. You know, Nate Quigley, the CEO, he's worked very hard to build a culture where people want to work. And so a couple of months ago, he found, I've got a lot of people um, who I have been here a long time and I'm concerned about sort of the state of play. So we administered our tool, they took it and we found that in fact, several of them were in mastery. Well, what happened? Person number 1, chief marketing officer, she was able to say, "Okay, now I understand what's going on. I've got this language. It's not that I don't like working at Chatbooks. So back to our earlier conversation. Yeah. It's not like I that I don't like working with my team. I'm bored. Like I need a new S curve." And so in her instance, there wasn't a new S curve for her inside of Chatbooks. They were able to have her say, "I'm going to go be a CMO." at another startup and it was amicable because it wasn't about the people. It was just about the need to continue learning. Yeah. Another person on the team was able to say, oh, now I know what, what the problem is, is that I have a certain role and you, the CEO, your role is bumping up against my role because we, we haven't properly scoped this. Now they had an ability to have a conversation so that the ceo himself again transform your company transform yourself said all right i'm going to reconfigure my job responsibilities so i'm not on your curve the president now has the headroom he needs to feel like he's not in mastery but in the sweet spot and with a third person who was who was um presenting in mastery, what happened is he took on a bunch of new roles and responsibilities that are going to effectively push him back into the launch point in some parts of his job. And it gave him permission to be uncomfortable, to say, yes, I know I'm the CTO, but I'm doing these things that make me feel awkward. And that's okay because I'm at the launch point. So you're able to use this to navigate that mastery by giving people a language to talk about their experience.
1: So is that how you move from mastery? You, you go back into aspects of like, to the example we we're talking about before the surgery is that you go back into aspects of launch point. Is that sort of how you, how you keep yourself not, yeah. not yeah. Yeah, got it. Yeah. And in terms of teams, look, this sounds like an incredibly enlightened executive, right. To change aspects of, of their <laughs> own job. But I've always said, you know, if you really are trying to build a super high performance team, then you should want people on your team to take your job, you know, one day. Uh, I'm guessing a lot of leaders might think that intellectually, but then <laughs> when the time comes, find some way to artificially keep them in mastery because that's a little bit scary, and it pushes them onto their next curve, which you know they have not mm-hmm. wanted to do.
0: Yeah i mean it it takes it takes an incredibly i don't know if enlightened is the right word it's a person who is able to be very aware of the experience that they're having because if you actually want someone to take your job i mean it's it's the the age old you know give away your legos it's that ability and willingness to give away this s curve to someone else but the mindset ends up being is well, I just need to make sure there's a new S curve for me. And I think sometimes we don't want to give away that S curve, if you will, because we don't know what's next for us. And so that's That's the challenge is what am I going to do? What opportunities am I going to create for myself? Because if you're able to do that, then you don't feel such a loss of identity because that's what's happening. If you give it away, you lose your identity. So what am I going to do so that I can shore up and keep my identity intact in doing this new thing so that I am able to emotionally and psychologically give this away to the person who's going to take my job? That's a lot of inner work.
1: That's a, right. If you're, I always say like, if you really are a leader who believes in building their people, they're, they're going to come a day when they're, <laughs> they're at your door. Right. And you have, if you're not willing to jump the curve, then, then you're basically holding them all uh, on their curve, right? You're right. almost putting a a, a vertical line on, on their curve that they're not going to get by.
0: Right. Right. And that's what happened in this company Chapbooks, that I just mentioned is that you had the president say, Hey, And it gave him a way to have that conversation with the CEO. And then they were able to reconfigure so that the CEO is like, oh, yeah, I guess I better go do these other things. Don't hold on to this so that the president could then actually continue to grow.
1: Right. So, well, it's noble. I'm curious. Do you have this discussion often? Because, well, it's noble to be like, look, let's help you find another job or we don't have that here. What if these people coming up the curve are better than the people who are are in those roles and they're just scared? That that seems well, noble, but it may not be the best thing for the organization, right? That, that that you have someone. It occurs to me if someone who's mastery or even below mastery really could be a a blocker for the the growth of of everyone else.
0: Yeah, absolutely, a hundred percent. And I think that's where where great leadership comes in is that recognition. I we we had Scott O'Neill, um, who was the former CEO of the Sixers, the the basketball team. And, yeah you know one of the things he did is when people he discovered that it, they it was no longer the right curve for them basically he'd say we you know it and i know it cuz we always know it let's find a new curve for you effectively and so i think that's where great leadership comes in is this ability to say to someone all right this isn't going to work anymore still treat them with dignity and help them find something new because here's the thing robert and you know this you've managed people for a long time when you have that conversation they know They know that they're blocking.
1: Yeah, they're blocking, but what was his name?
0: Nate Quigley.
1: Nate. So let's just, uh, this is in the context, but I'm saying, I think we look at these things as super note. While Nate is willing to, that person needs to grow and Nate is willing to find a new job. So he finds a new job for Sally and then Dave Uh and then Mary Uh and everyone's like, Nate, get out of the way. (laughs) Let these people grow within your own organ. It's great that you're finding them new jobs and all this stuff, but you, this should be the CEO and CFO, whatever of your organization. Your team is in the way of all of them. That that actually that whole concept didn't occur to me until you gave that example. Where where I, again, I mean, I think we look at let the person suffer. That's not a good leader. I think we give we give maybe credit sometimes to let's find this person in a new role because they're blocked. They're blocked. Are they actually blocked because the people are are better and growing? really fast or are they blocked because someone is uh, stuck on their, their own S curve, but has just put a horizontal wall up that, you know, so there's a pile up car crash behind them.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's well. Oh, I love that visual, a pile up car crash. (laughs) Well said. Yeah. And that's where, where, that's where that inner work comes in.
1: Yeah. And how many people are willing to do
0: that? It's hard. It's hard stuff. But you know what, so, to your point though, you know, someone who I think did that beautifully was Hubert Jolie, right? He was the CEO at Best Buy. He had someone coming up behind him and he got out of the way.
1: Yeah. Is that for the current CEO? Yeah. Who's there? Yeah. Who's doing a great mm-hmm.
0: job. Yeah.
1: So obviously the team is a super important part of everything, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And developing a healthy team. I'm curious. One of the things that I've seen now, and I'm curious your read on it is I'm seeing sort of the uh, gigization of the company where the employees have a tremendous amount of market power right now. And this is a new thing after, you know, years of companies having the power and they're understandably leveraging it, but it becomes very much uh, as another friend I had on the podcast said, we're moving into a me here now, you know, mindset. And, Companies accomplish things with great teams and goals, but you have a lot of just rabidly individualistic behavior where people like. So I was at a conference and they said people want to work how they want, where they want, and 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 what they want to do. I'm like, well, then they should go start their own company, right? That that, that is great. How do you see this sort of like again this expression of hey, I want my raise this week. I don't want to do anything I don't like. I want my own hours. Like again, market power, which is understandable. Mm-hmm. I think if you're going to be a gig employee and you want to be a mercenary, that's fine. What I'm seeing is the mercenary mindset coming into companies. Like, how do you think this is going to impact companies and and teams?
2: Mm.
0: You know, it's a really interesting question. And I think it's always been a challenge. Um, You know, I'm thinking about this idea of, you know, one of the things that I admired so much about and continue to admire about Alan Mulally is this idea of helping people think about how do you work together and getting people thinking about the, the common goals and the sense of relatedness of working, you know, working together to get something done. And I, I think you have identified something that is going to be a real challenge. You know, me here now was already a problem. Um, And it is going to be exacerbated. And so it will require even greater leadership of um, leaders who are able to both simultaneously help the people on their team grow and feel like there is growth upside, as well as to harness the collective power and have people be inspired, and want to grow together. And again, I think there's going to be a sifting where you're going to have people who are actually able to work on a team and people who are actually not able to work on a team. And so over time, the domain expertise, but the ability to work with other people to get something done is going to be at even more of a premium.
1: And that is a skill that is not does not fall prey to automation. <laughs> I think about things like, like EI skills or the ability to pull teams together or work with other people. Yeah. Like if it's just about you doing your thing better, eventually automation, you know, starts to creep into that versus yeah. if it's a coordinated effort of getting people to work together, I think there's a much longer stream before that stuff gets automated away. Like if, if it's just man versus machine one-on-one, like for a lot of basic yeah. tasks, machine will end up winning.
0: Yeah. Greater leadership will be even in more demand. And to your point, this pulling a team together, I actually think it will become even more valuable.
1: Yeah. yeah. Particularly when I think, as you said, I think a lot of people won't want to be on the team. I think there'll be a lot of individual contributor, mercenary. I don't necessarily use that term in a bad way, but like, look, you, you, you bring in the heavy gun for a specific task. You don't need them mm-hmm. On your team, I think the whole definition of companies and teams and stuff is going to become much more fluid with with yep. so much liquidity in the workplace.
0: Yeah, you know though, it, it it raises an interesting question, Robert. Is that this idea of people wanting the gig economy but still wanting to feel at some level like they're part of a team? And I think there is a dynamic there. I know we're trying to sort that out at our company, and maybe you are as well. Of yeah. like well, i want I want the gig economy. I want the flexibility that comes with that, but I still want to feel like I'm a part of a team. And so, how do you navigate that? I think that that's certainly a challenge that we are grappling with.
1: I, I think this will be the biggest leadership challenge of of the next decade because I think the I think you're you're seeing the workforce going there and and again, being part of a team inherently involves some sacrifice. Uh, right. Like we, one of the things mm-hmm. like, look, we, we have tried to make a shift. Um, we had a promote when ready mindset, but our managers came to us and they said, this is way too disruptive. Like people get promoted, they get moved off accounts. So we just synchronized it to every quarter. Right. Um, so all promotions were mm-hmm. at once so we could plan for, you know, cause if you get promoted from an associate on one team and a manager, well, then you got to move to your new team you can manage and look, honestly, there was sort of like an uproar. And I was like, look, no no one is going to get promoted less than this. But what the organization is telling us is that this is really disruptive to do this. It's actually the feedback of, of managers and, and the people in the trenches. So again, perfect example. Someone said, look, the day I want my promotion, I want it. And you're like, well, if you want to be part of a team, then we need to push that. I mean, this is not years. You know, we need to push that off for 30 days so that the team is less disrupted, so that the client is less disrupted. It's very hard um, to get people around that mindset. So I I think this might be one of the major leadership challenges of the next decade. And I think for those people, they're going to have to decide, do they really, do they want the absolute freedom? Because that's what being an entrepreneur is, although most people aren't. Mm -hmm. They own a job. They're not that free, you know, or, or or are they going to make sacrifices to be part of a team? Because I can promise you if it's a football team, everyone wants to start, (laughs) you know, if it's basketball, Mm -hmm. everyone wants to start. No one wants to come out of the game. Like the, the, but the coach's goal is to make sure that the team wins. Not every individual has their best performance.
0: Well, and, you know, it's it's something else that you said that's interesting is that when you want to just do the gig and, like, come in and come out and be a contractor, then the expectation generally is, at least for us, is that you're going to be at the top of your curve in mastery. Yeah. And so then you've got a question of, well, then how do you help that your job then is not to help that person grow, they find a way on their own to grow because you're hiring them to be in mastery. So it's a very interesting, I think you've got your next book on your hands, Robert.
1: not sure I have the answer to that. Uh, But I I do, in talking to someone a few weeks ago, I do think that that will be the biggest challenge on leadership. Mm I, I, again, you're just, they're going to be more fluid organizations. You look, you can, now you can rent your CTO, your CFO, your CMO, you can outsource this part. Like I, you know, you'll have your nucleus, but then you'll have all these other groups and people who come in and out and 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 it's, I, I need to think about it more. Um, yeah. Last question for you. Um, we're headed into a new year. Obviously, there's been a lot of disruption. I, I know we've dug into this, but just if you leave people with a last nugget on how should they really think about what's a test that they could think about and whether they, whether they should take a, a hard look at at jumping the curve or whether they're in the right place.
0: Mm, okay. It's a great question. So here's what I would say. I want you to ask yourself seven questions.
1: That was the Richard Dreyfus moment. There's this book that I think can <laughs> really help you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Now I'm laughing. All right. That was hilarious. Okay. There's this book that you can read, um, but I'll go through these questions really fast and that will help you make a decision. So number one is, you know, you're on this S curve, and you're trying to decide, do I still want to be a nurse or not? So going back to that question, is it something you believe you can achieve? The answer is yes. And I would really go to these questions. Is being on this curve fit my identity? Is it who I see myself being in the world? How is the reward worth the cost of doing this work that I'm doing, not only financially, but also emotionally? Does it align with my values? And is this my why? And I think if all of those answers are still in place, then you want to stay, you want to persist. But it just is telling you there's something else in my life, maybe from a from a personal or emotional standpoint, I'm not getting The rest that I need in order to be able to do this back to your your framework of of having the physical capacity or the emotional capacity. What work do you need to do around that so that you can continue to stay on this curve that you truly love? So that is what I would say is that sometimes persistence is just required and sometimes it's the right curve and it's just a matter of there's some other pieces that are out of whack. And so go fix those pieces. Make sure you're fixing the right pieces is what I would say.
1: All right. And if they want to read the rest of this book, where, where can they find it today?
0: Oh, well, in all major bookstores. Um, yeah, you can go to Amazon. You can go to your local independent bookseller. You can, you can buy it anywhere the books are sold.
1: Great. Where, where, where can people learn more about you and your work uh, beyond the book if they're interested?
0: Yeah. So you can just go to WhitneyJohnson.com. You can obviously go back and listen to the podcast episode that Robert and I did together. Um, I think it's episode 172, but that would learn more about you. So that doesn't work. Yeah. Just go to WhitneyJohnson.com and you can learn more about our work.
1: All right, Whitney, good luck with the book launch. I hope it's a huge success and it's always great to to chat with you about all things uh, disruption and innovation.
0: (laughs) Thanks for having me, Robert. It was fun.
1: All right. If you enjoyed today's episode on the Elevate podcast, uh, I'd really appreciate if you could leave us uh, a review as it helps new users discover the show. Uh, We will link to uh, Whitney and her work and her new book on the episode page at robertglazer.com. Thanks again for your support. Until next time, keep elevating.